<clears throat> Thank you for that prayer time. Uh, if you haven't already opened up uh, your Bibles to Acts, please do that. In our reading this morning, there's a little phrase uh, that Luke repeats twice. Uh, he, he said it once in verse 5 of chapter 5, and then again in verse 11. And any time a phrase is repeated in the Bible, uh, we need to take note of it. It's done on purpose. The writers do that for emphasis. Um, it's done to grab our attention. It's, it's done to say, hey, pay attention. If you miss this the first time, the second time it comes around, don't miss it this time. And so uh, this repeated phrase found in verse 5 and in verse 11 in the Greek is just two words, and it's the, it's the, it's the phrase phobos megas. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to know the meaning of those two words. The word phobos is where we get our English word phobia. Now, a phobia is not just being cautious or concerned about something, right? A phobia is an extreme, intense fear of something. All of us could probably share a phobia that we have this morning. Oftentimes, our phobias can be so extreme that they become irrational. Um, There's a new phobia that I came across this week that I wanted to share with you. I'd never heard of it. It's actually one of the longest words in our dictionary. Uh, But here's the word. I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, but I'll do my best. It's hippopotomonstrosesquipedaliophobia. It's the fear of long words. That's true. Um, Some people have an irrational fear of long words, and after hearing that, maybe we all should. The second word is megas. It's where we get our English word mega, and mega does not just mean big or large. It means huge. It's used when something is exceptionally uh, and abnormally big. Who has been to the Buckies in Richmond? Right? It's a, we, you could call that a mega gas station, right? For a gas station to have 120 pumps, right? That's abnormally large. It's mega. Uh, I was reading here recently that the largest Buckies in the world is appropriately being built here in the next several months, just right outside of Gatlinburg. It's a great spot. Um, for the largest Buckies in the world, it's going to be 74,000 square feet. So a typical, just to give you an idea, a typical gas station is about 3,200 square feet. Uh, and this Bucky's being built outside Gatlinburg, 74,000 square feet. So we, we understand that word. So this Greek phrase that's used twice by Luke in this text for emphasis is phobos megas. It's megaphobia. It's translated in all of our English Bibles as great fear. Last week, Luke reminded us 
as we looked at verse 32 and verse 33 short, uh, just briefly last week, Luke reminded us that when the Holy Spirit shows up, great things happen. Back in chapter 4 and verse 33, the word great appears twice. We see in this Holy Spirit filled, this Holy Spirit inspired community, that they're a community of great power. There's great power in the apostles' teaching on the resurrection. And that we also see it's a community of great grace. They shared in the great grace of God that was upon them all. And so the outpouring of the Holy Spirit inspired this community of great power and great grace. And in our text today, Luke tells us that there's a third great that happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. And it's just as important as the first two. This brand new community led by Jesus Christ, filled by the Holy Spirit. It's a community of great power. It's a community of great grace. And it's a community of great fear. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 11, the word church is used for the very first time in the book of Acts. We'll come across this word several times here in this book, of course. But here it's used for the first time, and it says that great fear because of this incident. God used this incident. The Holy Spirit, through this incident, inspired great fear throughout the whole church, all of them, the entire group of believers. Now, we like talking about great power, and we like talking about great grace, but no one really wants to talk about great fear. You know, as Gregory has already alluded to this morning, the story of Ananias and Sapphira has to rank up there as one of the most difficult for modern readers uh, of the Bible. You read it and you think, what's going on here? And why would Luke include this story? (laughs) Up to this point, the young church had been doing so well. There had been so much growth. In four chapters, they've gone from just a handful of people kind of huddled up in a room in prayer to growing to more than thousands of people. So, in Luke's telling of this history, why include this story? In 2 Peter, Peter, who's one of the main characters in this story today, In 2 Peter, Peter writes that the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Those are the words inspired by the Holy Spirit through Peter. So if that's the case, why include a story where judgment is immediate and a husband and wife are not given the opportunity to come to repentance? Well, perhaps you've noticed uh, this parallel before, but there's another man whose name begins with the letter A, whose story is very similar to that of Ananias, except his story is found in the Old Testament. 
The man's name was Achan. If you're not familiar with his story, it's located in Joshua chapter 7. The Israelites had just miraculously defeated Jericho. It's one of the great moments in the history of Israel. At the very start of this young nation's life together, they had experienced the great power and the great grace of God. They'd marched around the walls of Jericho, and they all came tumbling down. Then chapter 7 reads, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan took some of them for himself. He literally kept back for himself some of the devoted things. It's the exact same language used to describe the actions of Ananias and Sapphira. And upon Joshua discovering Achan's sin, God's judgment upon him was swift and immediate, and he was stoned because of his actions. In Acts, the church was young at the very start of its life together. They had experienced the great power and the great grace of God. There had been much growth. They had endured persecution from the Jewish leaders. Then chapter 5 reads, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he literally kept back for himself part of the money, exact same language used to describe Achan's actions. And upon Peter discovering their sin, God's judgment upon them is swift and immediate. They fell down, they died, and their bodies are carried out and buried. In both instances, as a new nation was being formed in the Old Testament, and as a new community was being formed in the New Testament, God acted decisively and publicly when it came to this sin. Now, I am thankful, and I think we can all say that we are thankful this morning that this is the exception to the way God has chosen to work among us and not the norm. But in both instances, God is sending a clear message to these newly formed communities. When he chose to respond in this way to Achan's sin, and to Ananias and Sapphira's sin, God is sending a wake-up call to the young nation of Israel and to the young church in Jerusalem. And here's the clear message. Hypocrisy hinders community. Hypocrisy destroys community. You know, the word hypocrite is used 18 times in the Bible. And all 18 times, it comes straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. It's only found in the red letters. In Jesus' day, the word um, was one way of referring to a stage actor, someone who pretended to be someone on stage that they were not in real life. And Jesus took the word 
and used it to refer to people who pretended to be someone publicly that they were not in real life. Typically, in, in, in cases, when you read through the Gospels, typically in cases where people lacked faith, Jesus had great patience, gentle instruction. In other cases, when someone asked the wrong question but with the right motives, Jesus had plenty of time to spare, to correct, and to guide, and to encourage. However, during his time on earth, when Jesus came across hypocrites, he exposed them for who they were and would rebuke them publicly because hypocrisy hinders community, destroys relationships. Think about it with me like this for a minute. If you've ever read the articles that have been written or looked at the research about um, church, what's always one of the main reasons why people say they're not interested in Christianity? Often at the very top of the list is because the church is full of hypocrites. People who pretend to be someone publicly that they're not in real life. Now, perhaps we could just write that off as just an excuse given by someone who's not really interested in Jesus Christ anyway. Or maybe those of us who have ears to hear will hear this as a valid reason and take the critique of the church seriously. Because here is what I do know. In Acts chapter 5, God chooses to deal severely and immediately and publicly with hypocrisy. Because it hinders community. Hypocrisy is at the heart of this story. Ananias and Sapphira were acting they were, they were putting on a show. In this case, they were pretending to be Barnabas. They were pretending to be someone publicly who they were not privately behind closed doors. They were being fake. They were saying one thing but doing another. They, they did the same thing that many other members had voluntarily done. They sold a piece of land which they had possessed. However, they said they brought the entire purchase price to the apostles when, in fact, they had kept back part of that price for their own private use. It's hypocrisy. It's being someone publicly that you're not privately. John Stott Commentator said this, they wanted the credit for sacrificial generosity without the inconvenience of it. They were hypocrites. And God sent a clear message to the church. Hypocrisy hinders community. 
So, what do we do today? What's this, what's this mean for us today? How do, how do we heed this warning today and respond? Well, what I'm going to suggest this morning and encourage us is that we have to respond the same way the church did to the warning in Acts chapter 5, and that is with great fear. We should, we should read this warning to the church and respond with great fear. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a community, great things happen. There's great power, and there's great grace that comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit, and there must also be great fear. Paul would encourage the church in Philippians chapter 2 to continue to work out their salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you to will and to act to his good purpose. You see, Paul says, when the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit is at work in you, then you live with great fear, with tremendous respect and awe for the God who is at work in us. Listen, church, the very presence of God is at work in us. Do you believe that? The great power and the great grace of God is at work in us. Do you believe in that? If that's true, which I believe it is, then the right response is to live in great fear. And by great fear, I hope you know I don't mean being scared all the time. What I mean by living in great fear is to have a holy respect for the presence of God in our lives and to also have a holy recognition of the consequences of sin in our lives, both. A holy respect for the presence of God and a holy recognition consequences of sin, because both of those are what helped inspire great fear in this young church. In the language that Peter uses here, he emphasizes the importance of having a holy respect for the presence of God in our lives. Ah, you can't miss it. It's so good. He tells Ananias in verse 2, listen, You've not lied to me. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. He does not just ask Sapphira in verse 9, how could you do such a thing? Instead, he asks her, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Peter says, you're not just sinning against man. You're sinning against God. 
Ah, Peter, why do you just got to keep bringing God up all the time? Because he's placing an importance on having a holy respect for the presence of God in our lives. He pulls back the curtain. And our actions don't just affect me. My actions don't just affect those in my circle. But God. And then, obviously, the immediate and decisive way that God chooses in this instance to deal with the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira emphasizes the importance of having a holy recognition for the devastating consequences of sin. Sin has devastating consequences. This warning here in Acts chapter 5, allow it to speak that into your life. You do not have to experience it for yourself. Allow Ananias and Sapphira's experience to heed warning to you. Sin has devastating consequences. And so this great fear is both a holy respect for God's presence and a holy recognition of the devastating consequences of sin. I think when the Holy Spirit inspires this kind of healthy, this kind of good, this this great fear in a church, then there are two characteristics that form. That help, that help community to form. It, it helps build community. It helps strengthen community instead of hinder it. Hypocrisy hinders community. But these two characteristics help build community. And here, the, and I really do think that it's fruit that's born from having a healthy fear of the Lord. First, It's a community of honesty. Community of honesty. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. They were dishonest. And for genuine community to happen, for any kind of genuine relationship to happen, We have to be completely honest with one another. We have to to commit to honesty. We have to become a community of of truth-tellers. We have to always tell the truth. We have to both be able to speak the truth in love and be able to hear the truth spoken to us in love. John would write in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And so there, there's an openness. There's a transparency with our lives 
As my wife likes to say, we have to be real with one another. And so this, 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 this fear, this good, healthy, this great fear that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, it creates a community of honesty. And second, it creates a community of humility. Community of humility. Ananias and Sapphira tested the Spirit of the Lord. They came up with this grand plan, and they thought they could do it without being caught. They didn't think anybody would find out. You know, it's pride that makes us think we can do whatever we want and get away with it. It's pride that makes us think we can act however we want and say whatever we want with no regard to the consequences. But sin always has consequences. To do whatever we want with no regard for the consequences is to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? The devil took him to the highest point of the temple and told him, jump. God will save you. What did Jesus say? Do not put the Lord to the test. In other words, God's mercy is great. But do not act however you want and put his mercy to the test. God's grace is amazing, but don't say whatever you want and put his grace to the test. God's forgiveness is as far as the east is from the west, but do not put the Lord's forgiveness to the test. Instead, we are a community of humility, a people who walk humbly before our God and refuse to test the Spirit of the Lord. Hypocrisy hinders community. Honesty and humility help community. What if, what if church is no longer full of hypocrites? Wouldn't it be great if someone said the main reason they're interested in Christianity is because the church is full Genuine, honest, humble people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for thank you for this warning. I pray just like the story of Achan 
was a warning that the young nation of Israel heeded. I pray that this warning to the church is one that we will heed. Lord, fill us with great fear. Through your Holy Spirit, inspire it. Both a a holy respect for your presence at work in us and holy recognition of the devastating consequences of sin. Make us into a community of honesty and humility so that all men and women will be drawn to your Son, Jesus Christ. Pray this in his precious name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. You know, (laughs) you may live the rest of your life and never experience the consequences of your sin in this life like Ananias and Sapphira did. But a day is coming when either you will experience the devastating consequences of your sin for all of eternity or you will join the chorus of the redeemed who are singing praises to the one who took the consequences of your sin for you. Name is Jesus Christ, and he was sent to deliver his people from their sins. This morning, if you're here and if you have never responded to him, repent, turn from your sins, and put him on in baptism as we stand together and sing.